but now it's it's time to uh, look into the word for a moment. Uh, I went to college a few years ago uh, and uh, met uh, a, a very dear friend of mine, Steve Williams, and uh, we became very good friends uh, in college and have just tracked with him for years. He's a pastor also and. New Mexico, and uh, now he's in Portland doing some different ministry and so forth. And uh, he has uh, a couple sons, and uh, one of them uh, lives right here in Springfield. And so his name is Drew, Drew Williams, and his wife is Kristen. And uh, they're here with us this morning to bring the word. So can we just give him a real welcome this morning as he comes? Come on up, Drew. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. I'm using these rocks as a sermon illustration. I meant to bring some from home. We stayed at a hotel over here, and so I snuck out in the morning and grabbed these off the landscape from the hotel. So, Lord, forgive me, but it's going to make the sermon really stick because you remember that guy with the rocks. All right, let's go. The title of my message today is called Don't Trip. Look at the person next to you and say, Don't Trip. Now look at the person on the other side, your second choice, and tell them, don't trip. All right, so I want to talk about offense this morning um, and being offended. Like, being offended is like the American way these days, right? Like, I'm offended by that, right? And it's uh, like this is big thing to, like, be offended at, like, every little thing. And so, um, you know, there's moments where we get offended with people. There's moments where offense creeps into relationships. Um, but there's also moments where offense creeps in between you and God. Where God does things that you didn't expect. That are not the way you would have done it if you were God. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're going to walk with the Lord. There's going to be some curveballs that come in your life that were not in your 10-year life plan. And the ways that God's plan for you often goes away you didn't expect. And in those moments where God does the unexpected, you have an opportunity to become offended with God. And offense is basically, uh, we're going to look at uh, the Greek word for it. It's scandalizo in the Greek that Jesus uses. And the word scandalizo means a tripping point. A tripping point. Anybody ever trip over something? You're walking and you always look back. The worst is when there's nothing there, right? You know, you tripped over nothing. It's like, oh, that's my foot, um, right? But, but oftentimes you trip over something and it's on the ground. And as you're going through your walk, you didn't see it coming. Because if you saw it coming, you would have walked around it. You would have stepped over it. You would have done some. But there's a tripping point that comes when, you, when something happens you didn't expect. Whoa, I didn't see that. And so they're tripping points. And so this word in the Greek, scandalizo, that is used, and we're going to do a little, uh, little word study here uh, on where that uh, word comes in and when Jesus uses it, because he talks about the tripping point of when the unexpected happens. Offense always comes when someone does what you didn't expect or didn't do what you did expect. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like you got to communicate expectations, Right? Like, uh, you know, like if, I ex if my wife expects me to take out the trash all the time and I don't do it, what's going to creep in? Because I'm not doing what she expected me to do. Right? Or if someone does something, says something offensive to you, and you're like, whoa, I did not see that coming, right? Also, I'm offended with you because you said something I didn't expect. Scandalizo is the tripping point, and the tripping point only comes, you can only trip over things that you did not see coming. And when someone misses your expectations, you trip. 
happens between people all the time. We're going to take a look in the scriptures and find out that it happens between us and God all the time. And what you do in the moment that you trip over the unexpected from God is critical to your journey of faith. All right. Let's get in. Let's open the Bible. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that the flowers fade, the grass withers away, God, but your word stands forever. I God, I thank you that it's bigger than my opinions. It's bigger than what we think. It's bigger than what's in the culture. It's bigger than what I saw on TV and on the news last night. God, I, I thank you that your word is stronger than a two-edged sword, and it has the power to penetrate our heart in the deepest part. God, even for those of us who've let calluses grow over our heart this morning, God, I thank you that your word penetrates it. God, I pray that your word would come forth, God, that we would look at what you say, and we would live our lives based on the word of the Lord, not the opinions of people. And all God's people said, all right, let's go. Matthew 16, 23. Let's take a couple words, a couple looks at this word, uh, scandalizo. That's the Greek word. I just like saying it because it sounds cool. Some Greek words you always like, preachers like, they say them quick and keep moving because they definitely don't know how to say it. Um, Scandalizo sounds cool. All right, Matthew 16, 23. So let's take a look at this. This uh, Jesus is predicting his death and resurrection. He tells his disciples, there's momentum all over his ministry. People are getting healed. Uh, And in Matthew 16, he says, I must go to Jerusalem to be crucified. And he starts predicting his own death death and resurrection. And so as he's saying, I've got to go to Jerusalem, all these terrible things are going to happen. Peter pipes up and says, never let it be so, Lord. So Matthew 16, uh, 22 says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, rebuking Jesus. I know y'all have never done that, but I've gotten mad at God every now and then. Let's be real. Uh, he rebukes Jesus as far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. God, Jesus, don't do this. Bad idea. Anyone ever told God that's a bad idea? Y'all might be more spiritual than me. That's all right. But he turned and said to him, so Jesus turns back to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, You are an offense or a hindrance, depending on what translation you're looking at. You're an offense or a hindrance. And that's the Greek word. You are a tripping stone to me. Why is he a tripping stone? For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus has a date with destiny. He's got a purpose to fulfill with his life. And Peter's coming at him with just what the, the worldly view, the earthly view of what are you doing, Jesus? Why would you go to Jerusalem and be crucified? You got momentum. You got this ministry. You got all these things going on. And Jesus is saying, this is what I have to do. And he, and he says, Peter, get behind me because I've got somewhere to go. And you're looking at things only through the eyes of men, not the eyes of God. And that perspective is a tripping point for me and where I need to go. So get behind me. And he moves on in faith into his destiny and says, I'm not going to operate by what people say. I'm going to operate with what God sees. And I have a mission. I'm going to walk in faith with what God's got before me. Scandalizo, the tripping point. Let's keep going. First Peter chapter two, interesting one. If you get into first Peter chapter two, Nine. So same Peter, who Jesus called the tripping point earlier in his ministry. Now Peter is writing, and he says this, verse seven, it says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, scandalizo, the tripping point. Peter's saying to those who are passing away, or to those who are saved, Christ is the cornerstone on which we build everything. But to those who have not accepted Jesus, 
They, their spiritual journey stops when they hit their tripping point because they don't understand Jesus and they can't get past it. Jesus was a real guy. He said he was the son of God. So either he's crazy or he's right. So I either reject him because my mind says, how could he be the son of God? I just, I don't know about that. I'm going to stop here and not accept Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. But to those who accept Jesus and say, hey, I believe he is who he said he was. He, I believe he did what he said he did. And I'm going to accept this and build my life on this. They continue in their journey of faith. But the tripping point, Peter is saying, is accepting Jesus. Does this make sense? They trip, they stumble, they sit down, and that's where their spiritual journey ends. They might hang around church, but they, they ultimately don't accept Jesus because they tripped. It didn't make sense. It was a, it, they thought of it through, through their worldly eyes. It's my mind, my will, what I think is king. And because Jesus has asked me to go beyond what I think, I stop right there because ultimately, I don't want a king, I want to be king. And we stop there, and we ultimately make self king, and we stumble and trip and fall over Jesus, and we stop and never accept him. Make sense? All right, let's keep going. Let's look at some more scandalizo in the New Testament. John chapter 6. We're just going to run through a few of these, and I'm going to get into why we got to be thinking about this today, not just in the life of Christ, but in the life as a New Testament church walking in the Spirit. John chapter 6, long passage. Uh, it's uh, the momentum in Jesus' ministry is building. He feeds the 5,000. All people are getting healed. Lame people walking, blind eyes being opened. Can you imagine this happening like there's momentum, there's crowds building and building and building, right? And he has this whole crowd in this pivotal moment in his ministry. He doesn't say, hey, if you follow me, I'm going to give you more financial wealth. He doesn't say, hey, if you, I'm going I'm to give you the seven steps to self-help and make your life better on the hillside, right? He goes into the sermon on being the bread of life, and he stops and says, if you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, Now, we know now he's talking about his death, resurrection, communion, the whole thing, like I am the bread of life and the power of the blood of Jesus. But in that moment, you've got thousands of people who are like, what? This is going down cannibalism? Like, I don't know about this, Jesus. Mentally, there was a roadblock where they said, I don't understand what he's saying. And you've got to go back to this. In uh, John chapter 6, 60 and 61, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said, does this offend you? Are you tripping? You trip? Don't trip. Don't trip. Does this offend you? Because if you're going to stop at the moment Jesus says something that you don't understand in the moment, you're going to be stopping a lot. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. What he's doing is not the way you would do it. So if you only follow Jesus to the point that you mentally and intellectually understand it, you will trip and you will miss out on what God has for you because you stop and stumbled at the tripping point. Is this making sense? You guys picking up what I'm putting down? All right. They were, so think about this, right? So you have these people who just, they're deaf, right? God, Jesus touches them, their ears open, and what's the first thing they do with their newfound hearing? They get offended with the next thing Jesus says, and they walk away. You got people who couldn't walk. Legs don't work. Jesus comes and touches their legs. I just imagine the rejoicing you would see, right? 
And then he says something they don't understand. And what do they use their newfound legs with to do? They walk away. Because ultimately they wanted a savior, but they didn't want a Lord. I got, I got my saving. I got my eyes rolled, my ears are, my legs are working. I got saved, but now I got to submit to the leading of the Lord in a way that I don't necessarily understand. I'm out. I'm telling you, let's not get high and mighty. We do the same thing sometimes. We want a savior, but not a Lord. It's getting heavy. It's getting heavy. Let's go Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. That passage in John 6 says, many walked away and walked with him no more. He goes back to his disciples and says, you guys going to go too? And Peter says, where else are we going to go, Jesus? You got the words of life. And Peter pressed on past the tripping point, past the scandalizo, past what he didn't, he didn't say, I fully understand what you mean theologically and doctrinally by eating your flesh and drinking your blood. So therefore I will follow you further, Jesus. He said, I don't get it, Jesus, but I know you've got the words of life. So I'm going to press on in faith, which is the evidence of what I don't see, the evidence of what I've hoped for. I don't get it. So I'm going to step in faith. You can't please God without faith. And faith starts when your understanding ends and when your ways end. That is a challenging thing. Matthew chapter 11. Let's take a gander. One more scandalizo. And I want to talk about how this plays out, not just in Jesus' time, but in today. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. Seen as John the Baptist is in prison. He's got a death sentence. His head's about to get cut off. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Let's stop there. So John the Baptist, let's rewind. Jesus' cousin. He's now in prison, and he's saying, sending messengers to Jesus. Like, are you the Messiah, or do we wait for somebody else? Okay. Think about John the Baptist. Like, he's the guy who baptized Jesus, right? And in the moment, he baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out. Voice comes from heaven. This is my son, in who I am well pleased. Dove comes down. Right? Like, well, do you think in that moment when he's baptizing Jesus and there's this profound voice from heaven saying, this is it, this is my son. Do you think he doubted in that moment that Jesus was the Messiah? In the moment of breakthrough, man, it's real. It is powerful. But then fast forward a few years later and he's sitting in a prison cell with a death sentence, hearing about all the things that God's doing in someone else's life. And a little bit of doubt creeps in what I heard when I baptized him real? Did I really hear God? Was that really a voice from heaven? Maybe he's just my cousin and he's really a good preacher. Maybe he's not. Maybe, maybe. Because what happens when we face the prisons of life often, we begin to doubt what we heard from God. And we send a messenger, Jesus, is it really you? Because this is not how I would have written my script, Lord. I did everything you wanted me to do. Why am I in prison? Jesus answers in verse four, sends the messengers back. You go and tell John the things which you hear and you see. The blind see, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Oh, and tell John one more thing. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Same word, tripping point, 
tripping point. Don't trip, John. I know that you're not getting healed. You're not getting set free. You're still in the struggle. People around you are getting healed. Someone else's legs got healed, but yours didn't. Someone else is getting the breakthrough, but you haven't. Other people have seen God work in powerful ways, but God hasn't worked in my life yet like that. And you have a decision point. He implies there's a blessing in being unoffended at God when God doesn't do what you want him to do in your life. That also implies that there's a decision point of whether or not I will be offended. Blessed is he who does not a trip who doesn't get offended because John has a choice in that prison cell of what you do with this. You are either going to move in faith beyond this, or you're going to stop right there. And in the progress and the pilgrim's progress of your faith destiny, you will stop right here. And as deep as you got with God in that moment is as deep as it's ever going to get. And you'll live a shallow Christianity short of your destiny, short of your purpose, short of your calling, short of the dream that God put in your heart years ago because you got offended at God because he didn't do it the way that you would have done it and you sit down right here and instead of stepping over that in faith and going on with God, you just start to define God by your disappointment and you use that rock to build an altar of disappointment of how God didn't come through for you. Blessed is the man who is not offended because of me. Blessed is the man who is not offended because of me. And what happens often, we start to pick these things up and we walk around with a collection of the ways that God didn't come through. And then we start throwing pity parties. We invite people to come over. Hey, you want to talk? You want, you want my offense? We do it with people all the time. That's what gossip comes from, right? Chris hurt my feelings. He said something I didn't like him to say. Let me go tell someone else. You hear what Chris said? You want my offense? We start passing these things around instead of stepping over them and walking on in faith saying, I don't need to understand it to believe God. I don't need to know how God's going to work this out to stand in faith and declare in faith. In a moment, some free praise where the worship leader saying, hey, sing about God's faithfulness. You can still declare in faithfulness. My God is faithful, even though he hasn't been faithful in the way that I wanted him to in January or February of 2022. I'm going to stand and declare in faith beyond that. But what happens when we don't do that, we sit in disappointment, we hang on to these, and what this becomes is a foothold for the enemy into your life. It is a stronghold. You want to go mountain climbing or rock climbing? You climb onto these mountains, and you've given the enemy something to grip onto into your heart and into your life, and the enemy starts gripping up one by one by one, crawling into a stronghold into your life because you decided, I am going to be offended at God. I'm not going to walk in the blessing of being unoffended. I'm going to choose and start to find my faith by the things that God didn't do. And all of a sudden, I'm wondering why I'm not living in any sort of spiritual breakthrough in my life. Woo! I'm preaching to myself. I don't know if y'all are picking it up, but that's what I got. You got a choice. Do you sit down, stop, and let it become a stronghold? Or do you keep going in faith, saying it's the evidence of what I don't see? I don't see it. I'm still hoping for it. Because if you could figure it out, you don't need faith. Faith isn't the evidence of your common sense and your understanding and your plan. Faith isn't you executing the five-year self-help plan that you made for your life at some seminar, right? That's not faith. That's you. And you're setting the ceiling of what you can do in your life based on what you can do, not what God can do. And we stop without faith because we pick up offense at God because he just didn't do it the way that I would have done it. All right. Three eras of human history. I want to kind of walk through this for a second. Biblically, there's three things that we see about the history and the journey of, of the Bible's unfolds. You've got the Old Testament, 
wandering in the wilderness, uh, God only speaking through prophets. Uh, there's a tabernacle. There's a, a high priest that goes in once a year and actually like talks to God, and he comes out and tells everyone else what, like, what God said. <laughs> no one else has the ability to hear directly from God in the Old Testament. Kind of weird to think about. You read the Old Testament, and you think about, like, these guys are idiots. Like, why do they keep doing the same dumb sins over and over and over again? They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. They didn't. You know, you think about that. They didn't have the power and the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of them. They relied on one high priest to go into the tabernacle, meet with God, and come out and tell them what did God say. And their journey all depended on what someone else said because they couldn't hear for it themselves. And so that era sort of ends and culminates with Israel saying, we want a king. God, we don't want prophets. We don't want any of this. All the other nations have a king. We want a king. And Saul becomes king, and then you start to see when people are in power, everything goes downhill, right? You start to see that the, you know, when greed and all those things creep in, you know, power corrupts in a pretty serious way. And you start to begin, this, the, the downward spiral of Israel begins when they walk away from the prophet and the priest and they look to a king. It all comes down, and there's a very dark period in human history, but that all ends at the birth of Jesus, and for 33 years, Jesus is on earth. And if you wanted to meet with God, you had, to, you had to go find Jesus on the hillside. Again, if you think about that, like the Holy Spirit was not active and available because the veil was still closed. The tabernacle was still there. So to find God and to meet with God, you had to go physically find this guy in the hillside, the carpenter's son. I don't always think about it like that. I always think like, why don't they just believe? They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. Doctrinally, am I okay, Danny, on this? Like, all right, yeah, he's, he'll fix it later if I'm not a preacher by trade, so I, you know, I might blur the lines. But you think about it, so you've got, hey, we want a king. Then Jesus raises up a king. And the first century Jews said, yeah, not that kind of king. We want a political king. We want a political revolution. We wanted, we wanted Jesus to look different, and so they tripped and they stumbled because Jesus was not what they expected him to be. They wanted freedom from Rome. And he was there to give freedom from sin. He was there to establish the kingdom of God, not a physical kingdom on earth. And they tripped. And so they rejected Jesus. They stumbled because Jesus was not what they expected him to be. And the first century Jews said, we would rather have the old covenant. We, they reject Jesus and say, we'd rather live in this world where we just maintain the priestly order and, have, and live under the law. And so they chose the law over freedom in Christ because they tripped because Jesus wasn't what they expected. Pentecost happens, the third era begins. Holy Spirit is poured out, veil is torn, baptism of fire, Holy Spirit comes. Gospel opens up to the Gentiles. It's not just about one nation anymore. It's about a worldwide kingdom of God expanding. And the whole picture is there's no longer just one high priest. Jesus becomes the high priest, then creates a kingdom of priests, which is me and you. Which means as a kingdom of priests, we can go to God. We can hear God for ourselves and begin to represent God in our own communities. At your workplace, in your family, in your home, in the marketplace, wherever you're at, you are now a kingdom of priests representing God to man. That is a powerful thing. If you don't ever think about that, it's like, wait a minute. But what happens often is because we get offended at the Holy Spirit and the way that the Holy Spirit moves in our life because he does things we don't want to do or does things we wouldn't do ourselves. We get offended at the Holy Spirit and we stop our journey. And just like, just like the first century Jewish people that, that rejected Jesus and preferred the old of the, of the old covenant law, in the New Testament, we get offended at this Holy Spirit thing. And doctrinally, we believe it, but we don't walk in it. What we really do is we stop 
one step back at Jesus. I want salvation from my sins. I want my, my, my burn pass, get me out of hell. I'm going to accept a savior. And just like the guy whose legs got healed on the mountainside that one day, we stop at savior, but we don't step into king. We stop it, I want salvation, but then I'm going to really formulate my life about like, being a good person and showing up to church twice a month. And frankly, that's what a lot of Christians do today. It's about being a good person and a mental like, agreement with Jesus. And you miss out on everything that God had for you because of your offense, because the Holy Spirit will move in your ways in your life that you don't expect. And blessed is the man who is not offended, doesn't trip, because they didn't see that coming from the Holy Spirit. You guys picking up what I'm putting down? Okay. Don't trip. Six tripping points where the Holy or walking with the Spirit is going to offend you. Six tripping points where walking with this in the Spirit is going to offend you. Now, Pastor Danny's been talking about living the Spirit-filled life. And what does that look like? And you can't read the Gospels or the book of Acts and start to feel like, gosh, there's got to be more for me. Walking with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, the way I like to think about things is, how do I interact with God? I'm kind of an analytical sort of person. So sometimes in the moments of like worship and praise where it's like, I'm like, what's really happening here? Anyone like, there's probably some analytical people in the room like, what's happening right now? Like, I want to know what is happening in this spiritual exchange as I worship God, right? Like, I know I'm supposed to worship God. I can sense the, pre- the God's presence in the room. Like, I can sense those things, but I kind of like to understand. My mind has to think about, um, it's good to feel the presence of the Lord, um, but I would also challenge you to understand the presence of the Lord. Get in your Bible. Like, understand the presence of the Lord. It's more than a feeling. More than a feeling. It's more than a feeling. It's, you gotta under, I, I need to understand it. Some people are cool with just a feeling. I like them both. But here's how I break it down. Your spirit, the spirit of a man, is not what clothes you're wearing, what you ate for dinner last night. It's not what shows up on your Facebook feed. It's not, it's not like this image that we put out there. We put out an image of who we are, right? Um, and those things are all fine and good. But who you really are is not what everyone sees. Who you really are in your spirit is three things. It's your mind. What are you thinking about? No one knows what you're thinking about sometimes. And how many know that's a good thing? You ever have a thought go through your mind where you're like, whoo, that was super messed up. Like, like you don't just, like, wisdom is not saying everything you think. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think some things, that ever, like, I have, you know, sometimes my sense of humor is a little bit, like, less sanctified than it ought to be at moments. And I'm like, don't laugh, don't laugh. That's funny. Don't care who you are. Uh, but you know, your mind, like you have thoughts in your mind, you have things you're thinking about. You ever drive somewhere that you drive on a regular basis and you get there and you don't remember driving there? Okay, good. Now I don't feel like everyone else is like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like you crazy people. Like you get some, I don't even remember driving there because my, while I was driving my car, my mind was elsewhere, somewhere else. I've heard people say at times, this has never happened to me, that when your spouse is talking to you and they ask you a question, and in that moment, you know you've been asked a question, but you don't know what the question was. I've not, I've not experienced this, but I've been told about it because there are times that your body is somewhere, but your mind is somewhere else. Where is that? You have a whole mental life, a whole mental world that is just between you and the Lord. No one knows your thoughts except for the Lord and you. And when the spirit of God interacts with your spirit, your mental world is one of the areas that God is impacting. 
When you're in worship, you ever have a powerful moment in the presence of God, and you know that God's doing something deep in your heart, but then you just get up and leave and go eat lunch and you go to work the next day, and you're like, well, what was that? I don't always know what it was, but I know that moment by moment, as I interact with the presence of God, one of the areas he works in is my mind. And I begin to think the way that God thinks. He begins to adjust my perspective. He begins to change the way I think about things. He begins to shift my attitudes. He begins to give me the mind of God for my situation. Uh, I'm, I work in the marketplace. I work for a large corporation. I do leadership development for uh, T-Mobile. And, um, you know, I begin to get creative ideas for how to solve problems at work coming out of the presence of the Lord. Because my mind begins to be renewed and transformed. And I begin to think about things a little bit differently than I did without the presence of the Lord. Because I'm start, starting to not just stop at what Drew can do, but I start to dream with God. What could God do? And you begin to elevate your perspective and see the world differently because your mind has been touched by the presence of God. The spirit-filled life is not about waiting for Pastor Danny to get up on the stage and tell you what God said this week. But when you get offended at the Holy Spirit, you forfeit the right for God to work in your own mind because you stopped at Savior without King. He also works in your will, your mind, your will, your emotions. You ever, have a, you ever want things that you shouldn't want, like late night Taco Bell or, you know, click to purchase on Amazon, something you don't need, right? Like God works in your thinking. He works in your wanting. You ever want things you know you shouldn't want? When you interact with the Holy Spirit and you begin to feel a spirit-filled life, he adjusts your thought life, but he also adjusts your want to. You begin to want better. You begin to want things that God wants for you. You know what I'm saying? And the last one is your emotions. We have feelings, right? Like you have, like you have emotions and feelings. and how, Feelings are a, great, are a great filter for life, but they're a terrible, like, you know, they're, they're a great way to add flavor to your life, but they're not a good decision maker. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of like, in our culture today, like, follow your heart, follow your feeling. If it feels good, do it. Like, that's like a fast track to living under a bridge in 10 years. Like, your, your life's going to be, if you do what you feel like doing, your life is going to be terrible. Bottom line. Because our feelings are deceptive. The heart is wicked. Like, we, we, we have an unredeemed heart. And when you spend time in the Holy Spirit of God, it, stop, it doesn't just start or at, I got saved and I'm not going to hell anymore. But then I begin to interact with the Spirit-filled Holy Spirit life, inviting the presence of God, whether it's on a Sunday morning in worship or whether it's on a Tuesday afternoon driving in your car with worship music playing or a Thursday evening in your home, inviting the Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We welcome you with praise, whether or not, in that whole concept they were talking about this morning of our praise being an incense. It is, is what would rises up to God in that old picture testament where they would burn the sacrifices of animals and the fire would fall down from heaven in the old tabernacle. Like in the New Testament world, we're not like cutting up animals and sacrificing stuff like they did in the Old Testament. Thank God, because that was kind of weird, right? But in the New Testament, our sacrifice becomes our praise and our worship to the Lord. And as we begin to praise God a Tuesday afternoon in our car, his Holy Spirit begins to fill the presence of your Toyota Prius. And all of a sudden you begin to think different you start to want different. You start to feel different because the Holy Spirit is filling you. You are the priest. You are the temple. You are the tent. You are the dwelling place of God. And all of a sudden, your life starts to look radically different as you step in faith over the offenses of the ways that God went about doing it and into your destiny and the promise of God because you said yes to the presence of God in the Holy Spirit life. You think better. You want better. You feel better because you spent time in the presence of God. That is the Holy Spirit life and signs and wonders. And you know what I'm saying? Like you don't pray for the sick when you're sitting there worried about your own offenses because all you're worried about is you. You know what I'm saying? Like I haven't seen sick people healed. Well, how many of you prayed for it? 
I, I get convicted about that. All right. We got to roll. Let's do this. I'm going to cruise through these real quick. So that is the Holy Spirit life. I would, the tripping points from the Father to the Son, the Son to the Spirit. And if we step over a fence and live life in the Spirit, there's a powerful life for you and your family. There's powerful blessings for you and your children. There just are. I'm going to talk about six things that are New Testament church, Holy Spirit era that are common tripping points for me. May not be for you, but they are for me. Tripping point number one. In the New Testament, the kingdom of God is the message. The church, the local church, is the messenger. A tripping point for a lot of people in today's era is church involvement, church attendance. Oh, he's getting real. Get to church. It's what God's doing. You know what we just did, right? Like, when we, when we don't prioritize the local church, we don't prioritize being here, being involved. And I know COVID changed everything and people are watching online. And if you got health reasons why you can't, shouldn't be here, I get it. But I had, I'm going to be real. I watched some Sundays online because I just didn't feel like getting out of bed and it was easy and convenient. And while church was going, I was scrolling my phone on social media, halfway listening to the preacher. Come on, like, don't get all holy on me. None of y'all done that? Okay. Get to church. Jesus is building his church. And whether you like it or not, don't get offended at the church and stop coming because the preacher said something you didn't like or someone you go to church with said something that offended you. Well, I just don't get fed here anymore. Okay, like you're a grown adult, feed yourself, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not Pastor Danny, I'm allowed to say this, I'm, I'm not gonna be here next week. So it's not Pastor Danny's job to like, to sustain your spiritual life. As you grow in God into a Holy Spirit-powered life, like you begin to feed, and this becomes a place of encouragement, but you step out of coming to church to be a consumer and you start stepping into church to be a contributor. You know what I'm saying? Like, you ought to come to church, like, every Sunday, like, with, does God have a word for me? And you should look forward to those moments where, like, hey, I'm going to go pray for some church. Maybe the Lord's going to give me a prophetic word for somebody else. Like, and to come to say, I'm going to contribute to the house of God, not just consume from the house of God. It's a tripping point, but a lot of times it becomes a rock of offense. And you can't go on to the greater things in God and ignore the local church. You just can't. The church is the bride of Christ. And if you want to be kind to me and disrespect my wife, my bride, you and me got a problem. A lot of times we disrespect the bride of Christ and want communion with Jesus. It don't work like that. Two, worship. So one, church involvement. Two, worship. It is a sacrifice of praise. I already talked about that. That Old Testament picture of incense being offered up. Um, the spiritual sacrifice, right? Like, so the presence of God falls on worship in a unique way. And there's, a, there's a, something that sometimes we don't always understand. Um, and we trip because, like, well, I just, I just don't sing. I just don't raise my hands in worship. I just don't clap. I, that's just not my personality. And so because it's not, I didn't write the rules of worship. God did. And he doesn't always owe me an explanation. And sometimes it's about being obedient. But a lot of times what happens, it's like, well, I'm just not that expressive. I'm not a... So we become Christians that don't worship. And there's a whole chapter of what you're called to do that you're missing out on because you won't spend time in worship because that's just not your personality. Men, sing. I don't, you got to sing loud. No one's going to be a microphone. But it's the way God designed it. And a lot of churches you go to, there's a lot of women singing, a lot of men sitting around staring at the wall. Sorry, I might not get invited back. I'm a dude, right? 
It's not my person. You know, it's not my personality, like working out and eating vegetables. Like, I'm just not into that. Not into that. Okay, well, you're going to pay some consequences, right? You're going to pay some consequences in the physical. If you choose to be a non-worshiping Christian in the New Testament church, you're going to pay some consequences. You just are. There's spiritual growth that's going to happen and a blessing for you and your family in a church that worships God. Three, stillness and meditation. Psalms chapter one says, blessed is man who walks not, who stands not, who sits not, but in his law, he meditates on day and night. There's a blessing in the stillness and meditation. Uh, There is, you know, uh, Lauren was saying it this morning, right? But to walk in the spirit sometimes is to slow down and shut up and just be still. I'm sorry, that's not church friendly. Just slow down and be quiet and sit in stillness in the presence of God and listen. It's as awkward as you make it, the silence, but you can engage in the, some of you got to quiet your heart so you can hear the voice of God. In our culture today, it's very uncommon, very uncommon to actually slow down and listen. And the tripping point over stillness and meditation is, well, I'm busy. I got a lot going on. My kids in four sports. I got this. I got to get to. I got this. I got to get to. And I'm like, look, like my, I got young kids too. I get it. Like, um, my kid's not going to be the next LeBron James. Okay. So, Maybe he can miss basketball games every now and then so we can prioritize getting into church. You know, uh, I'm just, uh, sorry, I'm just, I'm just rolling right now. I'm just rolling. Slow down. Slow your life. If your life is too busy to spend time with the Lord, it's just too busy. It just is. Slow down. Spend time. It is a spiritual discipline to slow down and meditate on the word of God and to spend time in the presence of God. And if you say, I don't understand that, I don't like that, not the way I would do it, God should just text me, he should just give me a burning bush if he wants to talk to me, like, he should write, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what we intellectually do, though, and because our mind is not the way that we would do it, we think, I'm too busy, and we trip over the requirement of stillness and meditation with the presence of God. Number four, maintain your spirit. Guard your intake. There's a spiritual discipline of guarding the intake of what's coming into your mind. There's so many voices coming into our mind and our heart right now. What are you listening to? And who is shaping your view of the world? Your favorite news channel? Who's shaping how you view the world? You know what I'm saying? Like, you've got you to think about your intake. You have to maintain a clean spirit that the Lord can use. The presence of God just cannot cohabitate with sin. It just can't. And there's a miss, there's a tripping point when we say, I can dabble in sin, and I can dabble with, with dirt and unclean things in my heart and my life, but when the requirement of holiness that God still wants from us, we trip and say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Our spiritual growth stops because we have little pet sins and pet habits we have where we've got intakes coming into our life that are not from God. We would try to find an old law way of justifying our behavior because the Bible doesn't say I can't do that. So anyone ever done that? Try to justify why you're doing something you shouldn't be doing? Well, the Bible doesn't talk about that. That is Old Testament, Old Covenant thinking. New Covenant is the laws of God are written on the walls of your heart, not on tablets of stone. And James says to him who knows what he ought to do and not do it to him, it is sin. God elevates that so that the requirements of sin and and cleanliness are relational. It's relational. 
And if you maintain a, a, a sensitivity with the Lord, he's going to have you to whom much is given, much is required. And for some, that, that would mean that for you, if you know that God's called you to stop doing something or start doing something, you're just simply not doing it because you can get away with it because it's not written on a wall anywhere. The only place he wrote it is my heart. So the only person who knows that God's actually talking to me about this is me and the Lord. So I cannot do it and still look good in the eyes of men, even though I'm missing out on the promise of God in my life. Maintain a clean spirit. There's a promise of God, but we trip and we stop because we don't want to go that deep. Number five, read your Bible. Should be self-explanatory, but I've had seasons in my life where I'm deeper in my Bible and seasons where I'm not. And there's fruit. Write the word of God in the walls of your heart and don't depend on Sunday morning to be your Bible reading for the week. Can I get an amen? We know that. We know that. But like some of you are like, I picked this thing up. You, know, you ever had a Sunday morning? You're like, where's my Bible? You're like, oh, it's in the car because that's the last place I left it on church last Sunday. Yeah, that hasn't happened to me either, right? But come on, read your Bible. This is still the primary way that God is talking to you. This is the primary way that God is still talking to you. His Holy Spirit illuminates it, rises in the walls of your heart. There's moments where scripture will come to your mind. All of a sudden, I'm not shaped by the words of culture. I'm not shaped by society's views in the world. My mind and my heart is dedicated and set on the word of God. And this is what defines how I view the world. This is how I view truth. But a lot of times we trip and we stop and we stop reading our Bible because I can still, I can still be saved and stop right here, get to heaven not really be a Bible person because I'd rather watch whatever's on Netflix. You know what I'm saying? Like, and we stop. We don't go deeper into the things of God because we're not Bible people. And then we wonder why our life doesn't have fruit that the world wants. You can go deep with God. In the, market, in the marketplace, in your family, in your job, in your day-to-day, in your coming and your going, God's presence goes with you, right? Don't trip and stop because you just don't want to read your Bible. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to be legalistic and weird. I'm saying there's a richness in a, in a, in a, a powerful, spirit-filled life that God has for you, where you're saying what God says to a generation that needs to hear it, where you're thinking what God thinks, where you're seeing what God sees, and all of a sudden you become a, a, a mouthpiece for God in your sphere of influence, and you start to see powerful things happen because we were blessed, because we weren't offended, because God asked us to do something we didn't want to do. There's a blessing that outweighs the tripping point. Number six, I'll stop here, the gifts of the Spirit. Pastor Danny's talking about it right now. Time in the Spirit, where we're in worship, inviting the presence of God in, whether it's Sunday morning or Tuesday afternoon, creates a different mindset, a different mind, a different will, different emotions. We think better, we want better, we feel better, which creates the fruit of the Spirit in our life, which empowers the gifts of the Spirit for us to make a difference. Spirit-filled church, right? Like, we believe in speaking in tongues, right? We good? Okay. We believe in the prophetic. You know? Like, we believe that you can hear from God. We believe that you can, you can have a prophetic word for somebody else. We believe in words of knowledge. We believe in miracles and signs and wonders. We pray for the sick and believe that they will be healed because we don't think that the Holy Spirit stopped in A.D. 72. Believe the Holy Spirit is still alive and working and well, And he's going to use you and you spending time in the presence of God. You reaping the fruit of the spirit in your life. You empowering the gifts of the spirit to reach your community and the people around you and your family. And functioning in that place. 
but we trip over it because, you know, that's kind of weird, speaking in tongues. Expecting God to use me to talk to somebody else, that's kind of crazy. And mentally, we have an intellectual block sometimes with the spirit-filled life, and we trip, and we stop short of the spiritual gifts in our life, and we stop short of the miraculous. We stop short of breakthroughs. We stop short of your kids and your grandkids who are far from the Lord, not radically having conversions where they're at and showing up in church one Sunday saying, I need to come home. We stop short of miracles in the workplace. We stop short of miraculous provision because mentally we thought, it was just a little bit too weird. I'm an analytical guy. I had a hard time at points breaking through in the, in the spiritual gifts. But that tripping point is, well, I don't want to be weird. You know, like, you know the weird, kooky people around spirit-filled churches? Okay, they're weird and kooky outside the church too. You can be spirit-filled, function in the gifts of the spirit, and not be a weirdo. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get up and go to work every day, and I can speak in tongues on my breaks at work. I can ask the Lord to be with me as I walk into a meeting. I can ask the Lord to give me favor with my boss that is unmerited. I can ask God to give me fresh ideas, and he can do it. I can pray for the sick, and they can be healed. All of those things I can do and just be a normal kind of dude that loves Jesus, loves his family, but is powered in the spirit. We think, well, I don't want to be swinging off the chandeliers and all this crazy, weird, hyper-spiritual stuff. No one says you had to. Like, those people are kind of weird outside of church, too. And their weirdness, just, you know, whatever. Um, you know, we go to a very spirit-filled church in Springfield. And I remember on one Sunday, we first started going to church, powerful worship, powerful praise. And it was just the presence of God was so thick and real. And I'm a very analytical guy, so you guys might judge me. I think some of the guys will get what I'm coming from. This gal gets up, like, in the middle of the worship service, and she starts kind of, like, dancing on the stage during worship. And something in me... Ah, that's kind of weird. You might be more spiritual than me, but that was my first thought. I just felt the Lord tell me in that moment, as this gal is worshiping God in a very personal and profound way for her. Probably not the way, I've never got up on stage and danced and like that. That's maybe not how it's going to roll for me. Um, who knows? Uh, crazier things have happened. But I just felt the Lord tell me like, Drew, what's that got to do with you? I just got so convicted because I was physically like deciding we were just starting coming to this church and I was starting to decide maybe this church is a little bit too crazy for me. And I picked up this rock and I had to think about it for a minute. I'm going to stop here or am I going to press in? I can tell you being part of that church has changed my family's story. It's changed my story. Um, but I had to step over something in the spiritual gifting world that didn't make sense to me right out of the gate. And I might not ever get up on stage and dance, but I know the Lord, what's that got to do with you? What are you doing? Are you, are you saying, well, I don't want to be like that, so I'm going to stop here and build an altar of offense, and the depth of my walk with the Lord is going to stop right here at whatever age you're at today in January of 20, or February of 2022. And that's as deep as your roots are ever going to go. Shallow roots, weak fruit. Go deep in God. If I encourage you something this morning, don't trip. Don't trip. God's doing something in your life you don't understand. Don't trip. He's God, you're not. And he doesn't owe you an explanation.
but he asks for your faith. There's a blessing in being unoffended at God. What a good word for today. Wow. I just want to uh, close with, uh, with this. I want to, uh, you know, you have to respond to God's word. You know, sometimes you feel the, the prick in your heart about it, and, and yet you don't respond. And when we don't respond, then we walk away, and the birds of the air snatch the word away. And then we remain stuck. We remain in that place. And, you know, this is not the day we're living in. God's wanting to uh, raise up a mature uh, a group of believers that will change the world. Come on, think about the book of Acts and the transformation that began to take place right as the Holy Spirit was poured out, moved us into the new season, out of the Old Testament into the new. Something happened there, and it was just a people so filled, the ones that caught it, so filled with the Holy Spirit and with the joy of the Spirit, and nothing was going to offend them. So here's what I want to do. I'd like to just ask you, you know, kind of the closet sometimes can be just closing your eyes if you're in a group. I want you to just close your eyes. I want to just read through the the six tripping points. And if, if there's one that spoke to you as he was speaking... I want you to just own it between you and the Lord. Just own it. And if you'll own it, He will do something amazing in your heart. Man, I, I just, on my journey, I, some of the things He was saying is the same thing, you know. The, the, those, those things, they just trip you, and you, you have to deal with them or you won't go on. And I just wonder how many even here today you're, you're struggling with, well, God, why don't I experience your presence? Why am I not hearing you? Why am I not seeing those signs and wonders and the miracles? Well, maybe it's the tripping point. But today, the Holy Spirit's so gracious that he will just change your life in an instant. The same way he saves you, sometimes he delivers you from those things. Amen? So just close your eyes for just a second. Let me just read through these. And then you just, you know, again, just, just maybe own it. And, and, and then I'm going to pray over us. And uh, the first one he said was the, 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 the kingdom of God is, uh, is, is the kingdom of God, but the church is the instrument within the kingdom that God's building to, uh, to actually establish and to expand his kingdom through the church. And so how's your heart toward the church? Is it really, you know, I'm living or dying for the church because Jesus said he was building it? I don't get it. I've had bad experiences in it, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop from what Jesus is doing. Matter of fact, he said, actually, the wheat and the tares are going to grow together. And, 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 and don't, 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 don't try to pull them out. The second one is worship. Maybe that's just something you, your head can't wrap around. Again, he explained it well. I struggled with it initially, uh, and, and yet by pressing in, I, I got a revelation of it, and it's changed my life. 
The third one is this that stillness and meditation. You try hard, you attempt to get up in the morning maybe and do that, but you allow the stronghold of the, the, the phone or the the noise around you to take over that time and you just can't be still and meditate on the Lord, even though Psalms 1 talks about it. Maybe that's your challenge. Maybe it's uh, the maintaining of your spirit. Very important because you hear the spirit. You're led by the spirit. and So you have to maintain your spirit. And what about your Bible reading? We've been talking about that. We started on a journey at the beginning of the year. I believe it's absolutely critical that I learn not only just to read it, but to love it. And then the last one is the gifts of the Spirit, allowing the Lord. And I just felt even this morning, I felt the Spirit was moving through so many of you. And, 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 and for us, it should actually almost feel natural. It shouldn't feel like something special. That's just natural. It's just happening. Yeah, that's a word of wisdom. Yeah, that's a gift of faith. I'm going to operate in that. And let's just ask right now the Holy Spirit to... to to just plant that seed so deep inside of our hearts. I thought it was an amazing word. So, Father, this morning, it's your word, and it is truly living. And Drew took us through, Lord, the, uh, just the very practicalness of your word and the powerfulness of your word in our lives and what can happen to us and Father, first, I just say, I receive that word. So in your heart, would you just say that? Just, I receive that word. And God, I pray today for all of us, if there's an area, Lord, that has become that stumbling block for us, that today would be the day that we, we totally allow you to touch that area of our life, transform that area of our life. We refuse, Lord, uh, anything that's outside of the very instructions of the Holy Spirit in your word. We receive it all. We want it all. And we will not be offended. And for those that have been offended, God, I pray today that there be a complete recognition of how deadly those offenses are so that we will hate them and run the other way and allow you and your grace to touch our lives. God, we do love you. We honor your word and we will honor your word and we will honor you and we will honor your spirit, God. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the word today. We receive it in the name of the Lord, not as the words of man, but as a message from God. And we love you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. God bless those that are online. and. Uh...